As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Sup, everybody? Welcome back. We approached that two completely different ways. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, both, I think, are fine. Yeah. It's just not tomato, great, tomato. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, welcome back to Killer Queens. I'm Torella. I'm Tori. And uh, we're so glad you're here. Yes. Very, very glad. Yeah. Yeah. So, before we jump into today's case, as always, just want to let you know about our Patreon bonus episodes on Patreon. You can join and get our extra show, Murder Mixtape, once a week. You can also get episode-by-episode coverage of docu-series. One that I always forget to mention that we've done in there. So right now we're doing the Jinx. By the time this drops, we'll be done with the Jinx. Mm-hmm. Um, I always forget Don't Fuck With Cats. Mm-hmm. That was one of the bigger ones that we did, too. We, all, we always refer to or talk about body moving. So how we forget that is kind of crazy. Yeah, we talk about body moving a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so we've done a bunch of stuff in there. Um, we got some cool perks in there. You can get a ringtone. You can get all kinds of stuff. So it's worth a little look-see. Yeah, head over there if you want, if you need some more episodes. And then, of course, we have our new show, Oh Snapped, which is episode-by-episode episode coverage of Snapped, starting from season one, episode one. Yes. Check it out. So you can get four episodes a week. Four. Four. Do you want to go ahead and get into it? Yep, let's do it. All right. This case was requested by Megan Sills. Hey, girl, thanks. Mm-hmm. It's Joseph Fritzel. What a piece of shit. Yes, absolute piece of shit. Thank you also to Sloan for the research. Love you, girl. Love you, girl. On April 19th, 2008, at 7 a.m., a phone call was made to emergency services in Amstetten, Austria. A disclaimer, we are from Tennessee. We are Southern as hell. Yeah, so we're going to do the best we can here. 
I, it's not going to sound pretty, I don't think. And luckily, Sloan knows this and went ahead and did go ahead and type out the pronunciation, but it's guaranteed that we're going to fuck that up too. So yeah, totally. So she did what she could. Don't blame it on Sloan. Yes. The man on the call said that there was a girl who was seriously ill, and when the ambulance arrived at 40 Yebstrasse, the girl, Kirsten Fritzel, was taken to the hospital where doctors were working really hard to figure out what was wrong with her. They were confused, though. She's 19 years old. She's unconscious, and she was super pale. She'd lost a lot of teeth. And she had a very serious vitamin D deficiency. But they, they couldn't figure out, like, what was causing it. And one of the doctors in a documentary about the case said that Kirsten was in a place between life and death, which is scary. Mm-hmm. Like, 19. Yeah, exactly. She should be a healthy girl, certainly, like, not so deficient in vitamin D that it's a health problem. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you should be getting a good amount of vitamin D from the sun. Exactly. And that's a problem. Right. A man who claimed to be Kirsten's grandfather named Joseph Fritzel came to the hospital with a letter from Kirsten's mother, which would be his daughter, Elizabeth. And the letter said, please help her. Kirsten is very scared of strangers. She's never been to a hospital before. I've asked my father for help because she is the only he is the only person she knows. For her to be 19 years old. Yeah, this sounds like she's a 2-year-old kid. Mhm. Fine that she's never been to a hospital, but so frightened of strangers that she has to have I understand like her grandfather had to probably bring her to the hospital because she was unconscious. How could she get gotten herself there? But to have to do this explanation of like, well, look, she is so frightened of strangers and she's never really been anywhere before. Yeah. How are you 19 and her grandfather's the only person she knows? Exactly. That doesn't make any sense at all. No. And also, I mean, the fact that we have a new letter from the mother is very confusing because according to Joseph, his daughter Elizabeth had abandoned the child with him. And that this was actually the fourth child she'd abandoned with her parents. He told the doctors and the police that Elizabeth had run away to join a religious sect or cult 24 years ago. But I guess she frequently stops by with letters. Yeah. Based on what is happening in their lives. And it had to have been that day because Kirsten is in a very... She's in distress. Yeah. So obviously it's not like you came by six months ago and like. Just in case, here's a letter. Yeah, sent a letter about if she ends up at the hospital. Like she said, I sent my father to help her. That implies that you know she's in the hospital. So that doesn't make any sense. No, don't add up. Chief Investigator Franz Polzer said that the police decided that they needed to work on finding Kirsten's mother. They wanted to question her about the possibility of criminal neglect. Makes sense. Why in the heck are all her teeth falling out? Exactly. She's not Charlie from It's Always Sunny. Exactly. They searched schools, they talked to social services, but there was no sign of Elizabeth having been anywhere in the past two decades. On April 21st, the doctors were no closer to figuring out what was wrong with Kirsten, so they decided to make a public plea on the TV to try and get Elizabeth to show up. 
So they did like an interview with a news station and they were just like, we don't know what's wrong with this girl. We need to make a diagnosis. We need to get her the proper treatment, but we don't know specifically what we need to diagnose her with or treat. We need to talk to her family. We talk to her mom, find out what's been going on, what may have caused this. Please contact us. And they were like, you won't be in trouble. Like, we're not trying to turn you in. We're just trying to ask questions so that we can help your daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, just to let you know, we've got uh, some neighbors cutting their grass. So I'm going to try to remove that sound from it. And we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Sorry. The police then decided to go to the Fritzel house and take DNA from the entire family, including the other children that were abandoned by Elizabeth. So they thought that what they could do was find the father or fathers of Elizabeth's children. Um, maybe they would be, you know, in the system. Maybe they had committed a crime at some point and they could track them down just to try to get some more information. The only holdout, though, was Joseph. He just kept saying he was too busy to give a DNA sample. He just had, like, too much going on. So he was like, yeah, no, I'll totally get to that. Like, let me call you later. Let me, um, I'm gonna, I gotta check my calendar. Isn't a DNA sample as easy as swabbing your cheek or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just, I'm not gonna be able to squeeze that in today. I'm so sorry. I don't even have time to breathe. I didn't even pee today. Right. Like, come on. But then on April 26th, Joseph led both Elizabeth and two more kids into the house, saying that she'd heard the plea on the TV and came home anxious to help her daughter, Kirsten. Joseph took Elizabeth to the hospital, but the main doctor wasn't there, so they left. And when they came back, the police were there wanting to talk to Elizabeth. You know, like, where have you been? Why did you leave your kids? But Elizabeth did not want to talk at first. Around midnight, Elizabeth did start talking. She told the police that she had not abandoned her kids. She had not run off to join a cult. Instead, she'd been kidnapped, locked in a dungeon, and raped repeatedly over 3,000 times by her father, Joseph Fritzel. It's just so disturbing. Yeah. It's horrible. It's the worst thing. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Like... Yeah, there's no words. No. For 24 years. Like, it's it's insane. And it, she literally, like, once she started opening up about it, she literally, like, got out so much. Like, she kind of chronicled the previous 24 years in captivity in two hours. She just, she couldn't stop talking. But that shows you how little happened that she could cover 24 years of her life in just two hours. Yeah, yeah. And, like, she also, like, because she she told him that she would talk to them if she could, if she never had to see her dad again. Like, she wanted to be sure that she didn't have to go back to her dad. And once they were like, yeah, sure, we'll do that, then she was like, okay, here's everything. Because she definitely, I mean, if they return her right back to her dad, then she's... I don't know. What did he think was going to happen? Did he think he was going to be able to bring her to the hospital? And then it was just going to go back to the way it was? I have no idea. You can't let her out and then think that she's not going to say anything to anybody. I guess he thought, though, that she was so... Like, overcome with, what, Stockholm Syndrome or something? Yeah. 
that she just wasn't going to say anything. Right. I don't know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So in our mixtape, if you ever listen to those, this is where we go back to the beginning. And we always play the Hillary Duff Come Clean. Oh, yeah. Because it's great. Because that's our taste in music. It's fitting. Um, but we won't play it here, just telling you. So <laughs> we're going to go back to the beginning is why I said that. Joseph Fritzl was born in 1935 in Almstetten, Austria. He grew up poor, and by the time he was four years old, his mom had thrown out his father, a no-good scoundrel and a cheater, according to a statement by Fritzl. After that, it was just four-year-old Joseph and his mother. She was said to be a strict disciplinarian that frequently beat young Joseph. However, Joseph was growing up in Nazi Germany where this kind of strictness and discipline was expected. In a statement from Joseph, he said his mom taught him discipline, order, and diligence. They were poor, but according to him, his mom was strong. There's always like a mommy issue with men who do stuff like this. Oh, definitely. You know, there's like something, something there. Something goes wrong. Um, They did say in the documentary that we watched that there's a saying in Austria that's like, it's better to be strict than not, I guess. You know, like, I don't remember the exact quote, but they definitely said something about how in Austria, it's expected for parents to be pretty strict on their kids. Mm. They're like, ABS, always be strict. Exactly. Yeah. In 1945, when World War II was coming to a close, Joseph began school, but he was two years older than all of his classmates since the war had disrupted his life and education, pretty much everybody else's. Classmates said that Joseph was always kind of superior to them because he was a little older, and he became, oh, and because he was one of the smarter kids in class who didn't really have to study. These classmates also described him as a loner, but a pleasant friend. He never brought friends to his house, and friends said he actually made sure that they didn't come over. They didn't really say why that was, if it was, like, because his mom was so strict or if he just didn't want them there. But, like, he was very 
careful to be sure that nobody ever came to his house. Joseph said that his mom was the best woman in the world, and I was her husband in some ways. I would like to know what ways. It, that's, not a, that's not a normal statement. No. Well, keep going. It gets worse. Yeah. He said this was due to him being the only man in the house. He continued to say, I loved her over everything. Okay. That, that's, not, that's not horrible. No. But then he said, did I fantasize about my mother? Probably, but I was strong and I suppressed my urges. Ugh. So I- it's safe to say that from an early age, Joseph's views of family members is fucked up. Yeah. It, yeah. Incest is like not a problem for him. NBD. Yeah. No big deal. When he was a little older, he started keeping company with women. Then he met Rosemarie in a cafe. He said that Rosemarie was nothing like his mom. She was weaker and shy, but there were some similarities. So was he like only looking for somebody like his mom? It sounds like it. Yeah. He's like, well, she'll do. She has some similarities to my mom, which is what I'm looking for. Yes. And like, I don't know, I guess if you have a parent that you admire, you might want to find somebody like that, you know, like somebody who exhibits the same positive traits that a family member that you care about and admire has not like oh i hope she's sexy like my mom exactly yeah like you follow that this comes after what he's already said about his mom where there's definitely some very strange sexual desires and tensions there it's like ugh, gross yeah he takes that and makes it disgusting absolutely one week after they met rosemary brought joseph home to meet her parents her sister, Christine Ranner, said that Rosemary was a quiet girl and Joseph was her first boyfriend. She said that he made a good first impression, though. He was friendly, nice, and young, but over the years, he started changing. He told both Rosemary and Christine that they should stop eating because they were already too fat. Oh. Yeah, he's even going after her sister. Ugh. Like, come on. Okay. Within a year of meeting, 17-year-old Rosemary and Joseph were married and moved into Rosemary's parents' house with Christine as well. Great. Yeah, she's like, awesome. I get to have somebody monitor how much I'm eating. It's like on Friends when Rachel's sister comes into town um, and she's like always on Joey about eating and she's like, a minute on the lips, forever on the hips. <laughs> and Joey's like, I'm curvy and I like it. <laughs> but not as funny. Yeah. Right. No. Joseph started working at a steel company where he would, quote unquote, work late. It turned out that working late for Joseph was actually riding his bike around and peeping in people's windows because why not? Why is he so weird? He's so weird. Like, you have, you have a wife. What? Peep at her. Yeah, that, this is weird. Yeah. What are you doing? It's gross. In 1957, not long after they were married, Joseph and Rosemary welcomed their first child, Ulrich. I don't know. After Ulrich was born, the Fritzels continued to add six more kids to their family. The second was Rosemary Jr. I am always... <laughs> 
confused about women and junior. Like, our grandmother was a junior, but it's just interesting. It really is. Yeah, to hear that. Then Harold, then Elizabeth in 1966, Gabrielle, Joseph Jr., and Doris. Then in 1967, Joseph was arrested and convicted of raping a woman at knife point. He was sentenced to 18 months, but only served a year. I highly doubt it's because Joseph was an exemplary right inmate. Yeah. It's like, we're tired of you. Get out of here. Exactly. When he was released in 1968, Rosemary forgave him and you took him You keep going back. back and forth between Rosemary and Rosemary. Which one is it, Torella? Did I? Oh, the whole time you've been doing that. What did I do this time? <laughs> Rosemary. I did? Yes. Oh, it's it's Rosemary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know I was doing that. <laughs> it kind of looks like Rosemary, but I don't... My brain is just mush. Overriding anything that I think I'm doing. Or like my mouth is overriding what my brain is thinking. I don't know. Wow. I didn't know I said Rosemary at all. I'm you've sorry. Been, it's interchangeable. Sorry. Like, she's going to she's going to get it together. It's going to be fine. No, absolutely not. It's getting worse, in fact. This is the second episode we've recorded today and I did not do names good in the first one either. So, it's and had no knowledge of it at all. No, I didn't know. I'm just like Tori's like, "Why are you saying that?" I'm like, "I'm not saying that. You're saying that." <laughs> wow. It's uh it's bad. Okay, when he was released in 1968, Rosemary forgave him and took him back. And in Austria, after 10 years, the statute of limitations kicked in and the conviction was wiped from his record. So by 1977, his record would once again be untarnished. So things were looking pretty good for old Joseph at this point. How is that even possible? Yeah, why would you wipe a violent sexual crime from somebody's record? And not only that, it's like he, big fat, got the teeniest little slap on the wrist. I don't even know if he got a slap on the wrist. He's kind of like, hey, guys, promise you're not going to do that again, okay? Let's not, that's not cool. Let's not do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly bothered by it. Let's just not try to do that again. Yeah, like he serves a year. He goes back to everything exactly the same it was before. And then they're like, you know what? We'll pretend like it never happened. Yeah, we'll just pretend like it never happened. Like, because people, I mean, we've talked about this so many times, but just from all the cases we've covered, people who commit violent sexual crimes do not stop. All they do is escalate. Yes. It always does. And like people who abduct women that they don't know they will end up committing homicide they will it just if you give them enough time they will do it yeah i just don't i don't understand i mean i know the laws are different everywhere but wiping something like that from somebody's record is uh, but you know they did this here during that time too i'm thinking of like wesley allen dodd he got out of everything he got just like tiny slaps on the wrist and i think I think stuff either got wiped from his record or I can't remember now or just the record didn't follow him properly. So it's like nobody knew he'd, you know, committed all these crimes elsewhere. It's just it's scary. Mm -hmm. At some point, Joseph was accused of attacking another woman named Marie Niebauer, Neobauer, as she was trying to enter her home. You think? Of course he did. 
Fortunately, she fought him off, and he ran off saying, one day I'll get you. And then he hopped on his bike and disappeared. He's like, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put the knife in my basket. <laughs> Whatever, idiot. Mm-hmm. No charges were ever brought in this case. Many people reported that Joseph was definitely the king of the castle. Neighbors said that he expected absolute obedience, and he was very domineering and strict. Obviously, if neighbors knew about this, Joseph wasn't keeping this behavior restricted to just the house. I mean, people could definitely tell that he was not a pleasant person to be around. He was known to be a tightwad who wouldn't give Rosemary anything and treated her like the scum of the earth. And that was according to her sister, Christine, which sounds about right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's already like early in the relationship telling her how fat she is. He's just trying to break her down. Mm-hmm. School friends of Elizabeth said that she found the home oppressive and that she was more comfortable at school than at home. Elizabeth was said to be very shy and quiet by almost everyone. And she didn't like leaving school for the day. That's so sad. Like when a child desperately needs school to get away from abuse at home. It's mm-hmm. so sad. It is. This is probably because she was Joseph's favorite and most likely to deal with his wrath. She became the target of his abuse at about 11 years old, and after this, she frequently made attempts to run away. There were reports of her running away at 12 and again at 14 or 15. Both times, she was either brought home by the police or returned on her own after staying with her older sister in Vienna. Joseph said that after she hit puberty, Elizabeth stopped obeying him and began causing a lot of trouble. Joseph's best friend, Paul's ex-wife... Elfrida Hora said that Rosemarie told her that Elizabeth was often beaten by Joseph and he didn't like Elizabeth. Rosemarie's sister Christine said that Rosemarie was just happy that Joseph left her alone. That's horrible. Even if Rosemarie didn't know some of this stuff, which I don't know how she wouldn't, she knew that her husband was beating the shit out of her child and was like well at least it's not me yeah that's just awful i don't i just do not understand how you can feel that way because unfortunately you hear about this kind of stuff happening way too often but i've heard of parents or moms getting in the way and being like no if you're gonna hit somebody you're gonna hit me they spare their children yeah exactly yeah i will take the beating don't don't beat the child i guess it's safe to say that rosemary the the claim about her being weak is fairly accurate yeah yeah i mean nobody deserves the 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 beatings like that's it's just terrible but to to let your child be the scapegoat for that or something is just terrible. yeah because everybody knew that elizabeth was the one who got it all the time so it's like well if he's paying attention to her he's not paying attention to me i can slide under the radar like that's your kid and what is the deal with elizabeth being the favorite so she got all of the beatings Right. Not that any of them deserved it, obviously, but, like, is that how you show? It's, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's, like, a sick way of showing affection. Yeah. Pretty much, I guess. Or, like, she was his favorite, and he was desperately trying to break her so that she would obey, and she wouldn't, so he would beat her into submission, Mm -hmm. I guess. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Joseph's statement said that Elizabeth spent nights at the bars drinking and smoking, and he tried to help her get out of this behavior. He said he got her a job as a waitress, but she wouldn't go to work, and she just kept trying to escape. In 1978, Joseph began work on an elaborate underground bunker that was concealed by a guest house that the Fritzels would rent out. At this time, it was apparently super easy to get a permit to build underground structures. It was during the Cold War, and bunkers were all the rage. Oh, Sloan says, think blast from the past with Brendan Fraser. Such a good movie. Yes, the underground bunker. Yes, it's so good. Wow, so you could just build an underground bunker like nobody had to know about it. Apparently not. But it's, I mean, doomsday preppers. Yeah. They have underground bunkers and stuff, and they keep all kinds of canned goods and stuff in there. They sure do. Which, if there is everything that everybody's saying 2020 will withhold or whatever, behold, it will be, I will be visiting someone's house that has an underground bunker. Sure. Yeah. Joseph even got a grant for a couple of thousand pounds from the local council. The government literally helped him build his underground bunker, where he then proceeded to rape his daughter for 24 years. Like, Then, on August 20th, 1984, when she was 18 years old, Elizabeth disappeared. And Rosemary never looked for her. Rosemary E. Rosemary never, ever, ever looked for her. She just accepted this and was like, okay, well, we had a good 18 years. That was fun. Yeah, it's so strange. Like... I guess Joseph was just to the point where she believed everything he said. Like, she'd been in it for so long. I don't know. It's just awful. Like, I think that, I don't know, she's a victim too. 100%. I don't think that. Yeah. The only people that came out of this not being labeled a victim is Joseph. Yeah. It's just sad. There's just some questionable choices from a mother standpoint, I think. Yeah, because what what could have been different had she asked more questions, had she said something, had she called the police, you know, to look for her daughter? Because he's just telling everybody she ran off with a religious cult. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, okay. Yeah. Her friends knew that wasn't the case. But nobody really looked for her. Like, I guess a few friends, her previous ex-boyfriend came by the house to check and he was turned away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, nobody nobody really went and looked for her. 
Joseph created proof that Elizabeth was gone of her own volition by producing, again, letters from Elizabeth saying that it was useless to try and search for her and that she was very happy. She wrote that she's not going to come home. Over the course of her imprisonment, he would have her write multiple letters, which he dictated, and then he would drive far away so he could mail them so they would be postmarked from different places. That That's is pretty elaborate. Well, and they said that he was really good at planning. Mm-hmm. He's very organized. Mm-hmm. He could have been a party planner. He could have helped people. Exactly. And <laughs> instead, he uses it to imprison and rape his own daughter. Terrible. There's so many ways that you could use that power for good, and he just went the complete opposite direction. But we saw that as soon as he was birthed into the world, oh my God, he yes. was a disgusting trash bag of a person. He's the worst. However, throughout all this, Elizabeth was really his prisoner in his bunker. Joseph said that he knew Elizabeth didn't want this and knew that what he was doing was hurting her. But, oh God, this is so gross. But the urge to finally taste the forbidden fruit was too strong. I have to, I have to vomit. That's disgusting. Why? How? I don't, ugh. Like, you, okay. I do not have children. I don't, I can 100% because there's a lot of things where I'm like, look, I don't have kids. I don't know if I have a dog in that fat. I don't know if I can say anything. I can 100% say, I will never say that about my children. And how you could look at your own children and think of them as forbidden fruit. Ew, it's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. Or like any member of your family. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I know there are. There are people who kind of get off on like, oh geez, where are you something you're not supposed to do. You oh, know? Like, sure. Um, maybe doing it with the window open or something, or like the blinds open. Like maybe somebody could see us, maybe they couldn't. I don't know. Like right, like a taboo situation. Yeah, something like that. That's so very vastly different than calling your daughter. Oh god, forbidden fruit. Ugh. It's so gross. Why? It's so gross. It's kind of like um what Steve Powell, Susan Powell's father-in-law, Josh Powell's dad. Mm. He was like super into Susan and was trying to get with her, but he also was very attracted to his daughter Jennifer, and she just moved out as soon as she could because he was very inappropriate with her. Like he never I don't think he ever assaulted her, but... Because he didn't have enough time. Yeah. Jennifer was like, uh-uh, Bye. this is not okay with me. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's disgusting. One one case of something like this is one too many. Yeah. And it's sad that there's plenty of them out there. I know. I know. I know. It's disgusting. I'm upset. Yeah. One night, he tricked her to come down to the cellar and help him fix a door. Then he drugged her with an ether-soaked rag dragged her underground, and chained her to the wall. I cannot. He would later say that his reason for doing this was to protect her from persons of questionable moral standards. Can... <sighs> laughable, Joseph. Seriously? You are the pot calling the kettle black. Hi, pot. This is the kettle. You're black. Yeah, like, are you serious? You're trying to protect her from people who have questionable moral standards when you yourself are referring to her as the forbidden fruit, knowing full well you're not supposed to sleep with your daughter. And if you did, if that was in any way 
something that you weren't sure about, the fact that you had to drug her, drag her, and chain her to be able to do this, probably some indication, right? Yeah, there's, here's your sign. Exactly. Oh. Remember that? Okay, yeah. billing ball. I know. It's also, I feel like what Joseph was trying to achieve here was one of the prizes on Superstar, a chance to be in a movie with positive moral values. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, mm, no. Oh, is it, though? No. Elizabeth would spend the next four years alone in the dungeon with her only visitor being her father, who would come down to rape her every few days, but otherwise didn't really talk to her. I mean, what did Rosemary think he was doing down there? Like, hey, I'm going to go to the basement for a while. You're never allowed to come down here. Mm-hmm. Like, what's he doing in there? Maybe I'm just too nosy, but I'm like. Well, and I don't know if this is going to be brought up later, but in the documentary that I watched on it, they, one of the guys that was being interviewed maybe a police officer or something, he was like, we have a saying in Austria and it's like, mind your own business. Like, don't, don't bother other people with, don't be too nosy. Mm. Yes, maybe a cultural thing. Yes. I mean, at that time too, probably like, I mean, even, you know, here, it was a lot of women don't ask questions. You know, the man's the head of the household. You do as you're told kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I would not have been a good 50s housewife. But I mean, let's talk about, we haven't discussed him, I don't think at length or anything, but Richard Kuklinski. Mm. He was a hitman for the mob. They called him the Iceman because he would murder people and put them in his freezer and then scatter their body parts. And they were like, I had no idea how long he's been uh dead for because it was six months ago and he's just been frozen the whole time you know and his wife he would leave and be like hey christmas i'm going bye and if she said anything he would beat the shit out of her Mm -hmm. yeah that's true so i think from what i'm gathering from joseph he's the kind of guy that you just don't ask questions yeah that's true yeah because she i mean she definitely didn't want to take a beating that's for sure and she shouldn't but right yeah you knew the consequences exactly yeah there there is a consequence In the beginning, he kept her wrists chained together or he kept her chained to the bed so she could barely move. But after about nine months, he stopped chaining her because that was getting in his way when he would rape her. Because it needs to be convenient for him, for the raping. Well, I mean, I, again, think it's safe to say that Joseph looks out for number one. (sighs) He's on a whole other level. I cannot stand him. Over a hundred tenants would come and go from the rented rooms in the next two decades. None reported hearing anything more than some knocking, which Joseph explained as the new broiler he'd recently installed. The only other reporting was that a tenant's dog was preoccupied with the floor, and he would frequently bark and snarl at it or just stare at it. It was only with hindsight that the tenant's really began to realize that they'd been having parties and living their lives directly above Elizabeth and her children. They said that they were not allowed in the cellar, yard, or garden, and were not permitted ever to take any pictures. That is very suspicious, right? Like, you have to sign, like, a non-disclosure agreement when you move in. 
Joseph even told them that if they mess with the cellar door, they would get electrocuted and die. <laughs> They're like, okay, where do I sign? Yeah. You will get chlamydia and you will die. <laughs> Meanwhile, above ground, no one was looking for Elizabeth. They had no reason to believe she hadn't run off to live with a cult. Then on her 19th birthday, the searching really ceased because Austrian law says that at 19, a person is allowed to go anywhere they want, so they were no longer allowed to search for her. That is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. How many people do they have that are missing that have never even been looked for because they don't want to get in other people's business? Yeah, and like... If they'd look, they could have found her. She's right there. They could have found her. But like, I'm sh- you know, there's people that have gone missing that are now dead. And like, you wouldn't even know that they're dead because nobody looked for them. Exactly. It's very sad. Like, you can 100% be abducted and taken against your will over the age of 19. Yeah. Like, even as an adult. Yeah. It's very strange. After four years of being alone and forced to participate in her father's twisted sexual fantasies, in 1988, when Elizabeth was 22 years old, she gave birth to a baby girl named Kirsten. She did this alone, no medical treatment, no midwife, no nothing, with only a pair of dirty scissors and a 1960s book about childbirth provided by her father in a cellar where she was held by her father, who was also the father of her baby. She had to give birth on her own and cut the umbilical cord with a dirty pair of scissors. <sighs> that's that's horrible. That's I mean, I've had two kids. I could not imagine doing that without medical help. Well, let's say because a lot of times there are complications during labor. In childbirth, where maybe the mother or the baby or both don't make it, and you need mm-hmm. medical attention. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, my first delivery ended up being a C-section because... The umbilical cord was wrapped around his little neck. Yeah, and he never would come down, so I could not have delivered any other way. They had to do a C-section. It wasn't coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, what would she have done? Mm-hmm. It, that's... It's horrible. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. She would go on to give birth to seven of her father's children. Seven. Kirsten, 19 years old when they were released. Stefan, a year later, 18 years old. Felix, five. And Michael, who died about three days after birth were all confined to this dungeon with Elizabeth. However, Lisa, 15, 
Monica, 14, and Alexander, 12, were spared that fate. Instead, they were dropped off on the doorstep for Rosemary and Joseph to raise with a note from Elizabeth each time saying she couldn't care for them. To this day, nobody's sure why he picked these three middle kids for living upstairs, but it could have been as simple as overcrowding. Each baby that was abandoned on the doorstep came with a letter that was very detailed about the child's care up to the point of abandonment and inquired about the previous child or children. Lisa was left on the doorstep in 1992. In 1994, when Monica was nine and a half months old, she was left with a note that said, I'm really sorry I have to turn to you again. I hope Lisa is doing well. It informed the Fritzels that Monica had been breastfed for seven and a half months, and now she eats anything. But she likes bottles the best, but you have to make the hole in the nipple a little bit bigger. She was the second baby abandoned, and this piqued the interest of the Austrian press. Social services and neighbors all believed Joseph's tale, and they thought Elizabeth must be a terrible mother. Alex was dropped off in 1996, and Joseph called his best friend Paul to complain about these babies that Elizabeth kept abandoning with them. In actuality, Alex had been born with his twin brother, Michael, in 1996. But when Michael died after three days, Elizabeth said that Joseph burned the body in the furnace or incinerator and spread his ashes in the garden. Oh my gosh, this is awful. Since Lisa was dropped off in 1992, social services made over 20 visits to the Fritzel house and saw nothing that made them concerned. By this time, Joseph's 1967 rape conviction had been erased from the record. Social services was actually impressed by the fact that the kids were receiving such great care from Rosemary. They were doing well in school, they were involved in the community, and were by all accounts normal kids. The elderly couple raising their abandoned grandchildren were receiving sympathy from everyone and looked at like they were heroes. This, oh, it's just so horrible. It's awful. It's literally awful. They adopted Lisa but kept the other two as foster children because the state provides funding for foster kids. They would receive about 397 to 410 euros per child per month, depending on the child's age. And that's like 446 to $461 US. So, Joseph is getting financial aid from the government for the children that he helped create by raping his daughter that he's been keeping locked in an underground bunker. Cool, cool, cool. No, yeah, no big deal. It's fine. That's fine. Sure. Okay, Dan. I just don't, I mean, I, I guess he kept the bunker really well soundproof and... Well, and there were, from what I saw, it was elaborate how to get into this bunker. There yeah. were eight doors yeah. that you had to go through. And the last door to get into the bunker was behind, like, you had to move this, like, shelf, built-in shelf kind of thing, and it was this tiny little door that you went through. Like, he he really crossed his I's and dotted his T's, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, the social services people were there so many times and never knew anything was up. And he was, obviously, had to be really good at... Lying? Well, but, and, like, turning on... Some sort of a charm, because if he was abusive the way that everybody, you know, said he was, like treated Rosemary like she was Rosemary, like she was scum. 
he had to have not been doing that in front of them. Like, he could at least turn it off Mm -hmm. because he knew that these people are going to put him in jail. Could put him in jail. To add another twisty elements to Joseph's evilness, because that's what we need. Mm -hmm. The decor in the rooms for the children upstairs was mirrored in the decor of the underground dungeon. He would also celebrate holidays with both of his families. The cellar slash dungeon kids knew about the upstairs family because Joseph would frequently bring down home videos for them to watch. Elizabeth tried to make the best of a nightmarish situation and tried to give the kids a sense of structure and normality. Her lawyer would say that Elizabeth had lessons for the kids and taught them grammar, reading, math, and writing. He said that they were polite and educated. Bless her heart. Like, she's just doing whatever she can to just be like, everything's okay. You still need to learn. Like, I just can't imagine. What a good mom. Yeah. During the time that Elizabeth and the kids were trapped underground, Joseph's life continued unhindered. In 1998, he went on a four-week-long trip to Thailand where he would visit brothels and have tons of sexcapades as well as massages on the beach in his Speedo, gross, and shopping for clothes that were obviously too small for Rosemarie. Paul said that once Joseph was shopping and saw him filming, and he yelled at him to shut off the camera, then told him the dress was for his new girlfriend. And Paul was like, okay, I don't, this is fine with me. Yeah, whatever. He doesn't care. Cool, cool, cool. Well, and we know, I mean, you said gross about the Speedo. It's not Speedos in general because I know that in Europe, Speedos are pretty common. Mm -hmm. It's specifically Joseph and a Speedo. Yeah, don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Yucky, yuck. Once the truth came to light, people thought he may have had an accomplice for the times he went away. However, Joseph was a meticulous planner and had most likely organized things underground so well with stockpiles of food. Plus, there was an electric stove and kitchen things as well as laundry. Theoretically, they could live down there for extended periods without him coming down. And, and like, he, he did it. He built it out like a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, mm-hmm. it had, like, a kitchen and everything. It had a bathroom, a toilet, like... He had it fully functional. Yeah. Also, DNA samples were taken all over the dungeon, but the only DNA was from Joseph and his captives. So they never found an accomplice that would yeah, have. Yeah, anybody that was helping him with it. In order to keep his secrets, Joseph would go shopping for his underground, underground family out of town so he wouldn't be spotted buying things in bulk or things that might seem strange to buy casually. Then he would take things underground under the cover of night. And Rosemarie had no idea throughout all of this, apparently. Joseph said in a statement that the more time that went by, he knew judgment would get harsher and harsher, so there was no way he could reveal the truth. Unfortunately, Kirsten's illness would take the decision out of his hands. She began going in and out of consciousness and having seizures. Elizabeth begged him to take her up to a doctor, and once he agreed, his web of lies came unraveled. After Kirsten's April 19th trip to the ER and Elizabeth's April 26th reappearance and talk with the police, on April 27th, the police went into the cellar where she had lived for the past 24 years. According to police witnesses, the cellar was kind of like a rabbit warren with a series of eight locked doors before you finally get to the living area, which we talked about. 
Behind the last door, there was a bookshelf that was a secret passageway to the small windowless two-bedroom, one-bathroom dungeon with six-foot ceilings. That's tiny. And, you know, no access to sunlight, no access Mm -hmm. to outside air. It's like, I would be claustrophobic. That's so scary. Yeah. Where Elizabeth had lived, been raped, given birth to seven of her father's children alone, watched one baby die and three be taken from her before finally seeing freedom after 8,516 days of imprisonment. That's just... It's terrible. All of that is torture. Like, the things that he did to her are torture, but taking her children from her... And the fact that, like, she knows that her children are his children. Like, you've... It's just horrible. Mm-hmm. Joseph had created a natural barricade above ground with shrubs and gardens. His neighbors weren't home very often, and they weren't close in proximity or relationship anyway. Neighbors said that Joseph and his family never came to the garden parties that happened in the neighborhood, and eventually they just quit inviting him. I can't see him being a garden party <laughs> variety. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everybody's like, I didn't hear anything. I mean, because the closest house was like, what, three gardens away, we said? So, yes. yeah, there's plenty of room. And he had so many, like, shrubberies and trees and stuff around that you literally couldn't see. Well, and they anything. said one of the neighbors was like, hey, why don't we cut this back some? And he's like, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, okay. And the way he said it, they were like, we didn't bring it up again. We, It was obvious. After they were all freed, Elizabeth and the family, the rest of the family, spent time in a psychiatric hospital learning how to live normal lives. Elizabeth and the three three children that had been abandoned had lived in the outside world, but Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix had never even seen daylight. That's, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Elizabeth's lawyer, Christopher Herbst, said that they all acted like a typical family. The children from the dungeon were able to speak normally, walk normally, and generally looked normal. It was said that the first picture of the family could be worth at least a million dollars, so the family was, once again, captive. They were not allowed to leave the hospital or even walk the grounds for fear they would be bombarded by the paparazzi. That is so terrible. Like, when I heard that, I felt so bad. We we talked about the media um, a lot in other cases and how frustrating it can be. That is coming from somebody who is relatively nosy and wants to know more about cases, but at what cost? Now mm-hmm. this family has been released and has a chance to rejoin society and have some semblance of a normal life, but they can't because too many people are too nosy and they need to get a picture. Yeah, because they want to sell it. Like. Mm-hmm. You want to profit off of these people's private pain mm-hmm. and continue to keep them captive when they've been prisoners for, you know, Elizabeth 24 years. Like, it's, yeah, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth told of the struggles in her underground prison where she sometimes had to catch rats barehanded and poured water down the walls. Oh, and water poured down the walls. In the summer, it became a sauna. She said that her father would often punish her by cutting off the power for a few days so she had to just live in complete darkness. <sighs> oh my God, this guy. Joseph was also in prison 40 miles away, awaiting his trial. 
He showed little to more, little to no remorse for his actions and simply said he's very sorry for his family, but it can't be undone. I mean, what else is he supposed to do? Yeah, what happened happened. He hated that there was media coverage and that he was called a monster. Wah, whatever. He dictated a statement to his lawyer where he disputed the claim that he was a monster because he said he was kind to his family. He could have killed him, but he didn't. Wouldn't a monster have killed them? Yeah. How can you call somebody a monster for doing just as little as what he did? Yeah. He didn't even kill anybody. Ugh. Ugh. In trying to figure out how Joseph was able to get away with this for all these years, people accused the police of incompetence and, in fact, the statute of limitations that wiped Joseph's record clean after 10 years became such an issue that Parliament worked to change. In one of Joseph's interviews with a forensic psychologist, he said that he is not a man who would molest children. It only started later, much later, when she was already underneath. But that's not true. That can't be true. He wanted, he wanted to molest her, so that's why he put her underneath. And the fact that she was 18 when he started this, he still abused her her whole entire life. Mm-hmm. He abused everyone his whole entire life. Yeah. But she's still his child. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, it's that split in hair. It's like, well, you know, I started when she was an adult. Okay, good for you. Right. Or, you know, I, I didn't do that till she was already down there. So it's like, well, how'd you I get mean, down there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, once I had this prisoner, it's like, well, what was I supposed to do? Like, of course, I'm going to do that. Yeah, exactly. How did she get down there, dude? Like, she got down there because you wanted to molest her. Fucking idiot. Hate him. Mm-hmm. The psychologist said that incest can come from a person feeling like they have the right to do this because the child belongs to them. They're able to convince themselves that they aren't doing the child any harm, and you're the most competent person to do this because you know them best. That's disgusting. I hate. I hate it. On March 16, 2009, Joseph Fritzl appeared in court hiding behind a three-ring binder he was using to shield his face. He was facing charges of rape, incest, false imprisonment, slavery, coercion, deprivation of liberty, and murder for baby Michael. Joseph denied that his imprisonment of Elizabeth was anything but the act of a devoted father, according to his attorney. Wow. His defense was that he was just trying to rescue his misbehaving daughter by locking her away from bad influences. And then he got her pregnant seven times? That, how is that you rescuing her from bad influences? I, the only bad influence that I can see that she actually encountered was him. Exactly. Because fathers don't impregnate their daughters. Mm-mm. It's disgusting. Mm-mm. Elizabeth, now in her 50s, and the kids were given new identities, but the tabloids, of course, found them. They're said to be living in an incredibly secure home and neighborhood with 24-hour CCTV coverage, and none of them have the name Fritzel anymore. Joseph was put in prison for life, and even other prisoners won't associate with him. In March of 2016, Joseph was punched in the face by another inmate and lost several teeth. In 2017, he paid 545 euros to change his last name to Merhoff. In March of 2019, the Daily Mail reported that at 84, Joseph Fritzl is suffering from dementia and is slowly dying. 
The site also reported that the Dungeon of Horrors was filled in by the Austrian authorities to prevent other perverts from worshipping it as a shrine. Oh my god. This is what you were saying, Tori. There's an Austrian proverb that says, if it's not your business, don't get involved. They mind their own business to respect the privacy of others. Wow. You know what I think? What? This is the worst, or this is a terrible part of the entire case, that Joseph has gotten dementia so he can completely forget about all the terrible things that he's done before he dies. He doesn't have to go to his grave with that knowledge if the dementia gets that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That mm. is not justice. Yeah, and they'll never forget, you know? They'll yeah. never be able to they forget. They have to live with that. And yeah. he gets to blissfully become unaware yeah. of everything that he did, even though he didn't find anything wrong with it anyway. Right, yeah. Even if he did remember, he'd be like, man, those were the good days. It's horrible. It's awful. And I mean, I totally get, like... Not being too nosy. But, I mean, I don't think anybody, the way that he had it set up, you can't fault the neighbors, you know? It's like, yeah, maybe I heard some noises, but you, you're you never going to think, what if he's got people in his basement that he is keeping captive? Mm-hmm. And he's raping his daughter. Like, you're never going to think that. Nobody could have known. Right. I don't even think, because... Being someone who is not capable of such acts, your mind doesn't naturally go there. Right. Yeah. Now, if he lived next to some true crime podcast fans, that's the first thing we would think. 100%. What do you got down there? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing down there? Why are you hiding stuff? Yeah. How many people do you have down there? Exactly. Yeah. But um, it's just crazy. And I, and I, you know, I know... It is hard to think that Rosemary didn't have an idea of anything going on, but she was definitely abused, too. I mean, you know, you definitely hope that if something like that happened, you would be able to leave or be able to rescue your children. Yeah, something like that. But that's not always possible. Well, and, and she suffered years of physical, mental, emotional abuse. Right. Yeah, that mental abuse is very, makes it very difficult to do what you normally would do or you think you would do kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's so easy to say, well, I would have done this, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. You don't know. And I think it's really hilarious that Torella is going around saying that if he lived next door to some podcasters or podcast fans, that you would do something about it because just earlier, we literally heard a kitten meow and it was 100% a ghost kitten, and Terrell is trying to convince me that it's the air conditioner kicking on. I don't know what it is. There's also some other, like, weird noises that happen, and, like, they always happen. I only hear them in this room where we record. And this room is directly over the garage. There's literally no reason. I've literally gone immediately down to the garage because it sounds like there's got to be, like, a raccoon, like, scraping around in there, and I've gone immediately down to the garage. There's nothing. What is it? I don't know what it is. Maybe my husband has a dungeon. Of a family of raccoons just scraping around. Yep. I don't... raccoon captives. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know. There's something going on here. 
So I've asked Tori to quit her job so she can stay here and protect me because I'm going to be here by myself. (laughs) I'm doing what I can. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the case. Let us know what you think about it. Thanks again to Megan Sills for requesting it. Thanks, as always, to Sloan for the excellent research. Jesus. Research. Thank you to Torella for providing hilarious things to laugh at. I used to know how to read. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, and thank you to our producers, Brittany Buell, Greg Brock, and Karen Washington. We love you. Thank you so much. And we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Chief Investigator Fran- Franz Pols- Polster. No. Pol- Polzer. Polzer. Okay. Chief Investigator Frank Poltzer said that the police... It's not Frank. But damn it, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, nailed it. Got it. (laughs) Damn it. It's not Frank. (laughs) Okay. Chief Investigator (laughs) Franz Poltzer. No. Yes. I was like, what did I do that time? <laughs> Sorry. I was like, did I fucking say Frank again? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Called him prissy. <laughs> then he drugged her with either... No, an oh. ether soaked rag. Okay. With an... <laughs> I was like, either a soaked rag or something. The fact that you're reading this when I've con- it's been confirmed that you can't read is crazy to me. <laughs> I used to be able to read. Just do pictures for you. (laughs) That would be better. Be like, oh, look. Here's Joseph with an ether-soaked rag. (laughs) (laughs) After four years of being alone and forced to participate in her father's twisted sexual fantasies, in 1998, when Elizabeth was 22 years old... 1988. You said 98. Did I? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? I- Go back and listen. Okay. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.